TED Audio Collective. This is ZigZag, a podcast about changing the course of capitalism, journalism, and women's lives. I'm Manoush Zamarodi, and it is the grand finale of season two. What have we learned? Where are we going? Jen is here. Hi. <laughs> We're going to talk about our business, what happens with Civil Next, our personal highs and lows as we've been making the past 12 episodes, and we'll also share what some of you have told us you are looking forward to. I anticipate. Definitely anticipating. I'm anticipating. But I'm anticipating. Y'all keep me going. Thank you for being here. Okay, it's episode 12, the last episode of ZigZag Season 2. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. My dear listeners... For season two of ZigZag, we wanted to build on the personal story that we told you in season one about me and Jen and starting our new business, Stable Genius Productions. Our goal was to turn ZigZag into the podcast of our fantasies, a place to research and explore big ideas and have some fun. The focus for this second season, we decided, had to be trust and information. What makes something true? How and why do we believe the news or ourselves? What can we do to rebuild trust and improve the quality of our information? We wanted to tackle these questions from multiple angles. So to start, you heard researchers at the Knight Foundation who tracked down how false information spread on Twitter. They're publishing 11 or 12 tweets a second. You know, over the course of this interview, they've published thousands and thousands of tweets. Mr. Fact-Checker himself, Bill Adair, was here explaining how he helped create political fact-checking as we know it and how he's pioneering its future. There's a process to it that's pretty cool. There are four questions that we ask as we consider the statement. Sociologist Eric Kleinenberg walked us through the effect that physical spaces can have on how citizens share information. Things like libraries and parks and schools and playgrounds and childcare centers are this vital part of the social infrastructure. And Jen took us home to her neighborhood for the perfect example of how trust can restore a community. That's right, I'm hosting the show this week from the Rockaway Beach Boardwalk. You got intimate confessions and great advice from numerous entrepreneurs, many of them women, on how they're staying true to their partnerships, their missions, while building their businesses. She's very good at telling me, Phoebe, we cannot do all of this. can't say yes to everything. And why would you? I mean... (laughs) Phoebe Judge and Lauren Sporer, the duo behind the creative and strange mega-podcast Criminal. I have moved into a post-guilt universe, actually. It took a long time and a lot of therapy to get there, but I really feel like your kids do 
what you do and not what you say. Investigative reporter Julia Angwin, formerly of ProPublica, who's now building her own newsroom called The Markup and still being a mom. It's not about follower count or claps or retweets. And the founders of Kinzen, who left Twitter and Facebook to create an app to battle information overload. Yeah, we want to build this from the ground up with a community of curators and testers. Listeners, I hope all these episodes this season got you thinking about trust and information as voters, entrepreneurs, users of tech, and just human beings. I know I did. But I feel like I forgot to mention someone in this roundup. Oh, yeah. Civil. It didn't work, like in a pretty spectacular way. The saga of Civil, that blockchain startup for journalism, reached quite a climax pretty early on in the season. The token sale went extremely badly, and Civil Media CEO Matthew Isles came on the show and issued a mea culpa. There's been a tremendous amount of um, of mm. attention paid to us and pointing, not pointing at fingers, but pointing at mistakes. This failure was particularly devastating since many of you, dear listeners, had invested time and even some money, which hopefully you've gotten back by now, into this experiment in creating sustainable journalism. We knew that there was a big risk. You did. We did. But we put our trust in civil anyway. Was that the wrong thing to do? I'm not sure. Jen Poyant. Hello. My co-founder is here. Jen, I want to start off with an update on civil. In the fall, the startup tried to launch a cryptocurrency, the civil token, The goal was to pull in a minimum of $8 million, just a little refresher for you in case somehow it slipped your mind, Jen, um, (laughs) that they failed. Uh, And since then, all has gone pretty quiet publicly. But now the reboot is coming. Can you fill us in, please? Sure. They're officially launching on February 15th, which is not that far away. No. It's going to be an app where anybody can launch, sponsor, challenge, vote on a newsroom. And it's apparently going to be done with civil tokens. Okay, this might come as, like, a shock to people because I think there are many folks who assumed that because the original token sale did not work out, that was the end of Civil, but that's not the case. No, Matthew did say on the show that they are going to reboot and do a Plan B sale of tokens. It's just that there's not going to be, like, a deadline where they have to reach a certain mark or a certain amount of tokens sold. It's going to be an ongoing sale. Okay, so starting in the middle of February, and then, like, we're all going to have to go through a million steps? 44. 44 steps to buy the tokens? (laughs) Allegedly, no. They've (laughs) revamped the process and uh, for purchasing these things. And uh, I don't know. We'll see if it works. But the idea is that they have heard the complaints about the user experience and that you won't have to go through a bunch of third-party applications to buy these tokens. The idea is that you'll be able to just go through Civil to buy them. And if you decide to do that, you again, allegedly, will be able to take part in running the platform and making direct payments to journalists. Actually, Jen, we asked Matthew Isles for an official voice memo, because that's how we do things here at ZigZag, and he recorded a message for the show. So let's play it. Hey, ZigZag listeners. This is Matthew Isles, CEO of The Civil Media Company, and like you, a proud supporter of ZigZag. It's been a while since we last caught up, and I wanted to give you an update on our progress. We spent the past two months working extremely hard behind the scenes to build a better way forward for the Civil Project, and I'm excited to share that Civil will finally launch in early February. 
All this is to say, we listened. We listened to newsrooms, partners, community members, and people like you, listeners of this podcast and supporters of independent media. We reflected on our mission, the road to success, what we've learned along the way, and we rebuilt our plans from the ground up. This new civil is focused, and it's in no small part thanks to the encouraging and constructive feedback we hear from our community every day. Okay, so we'll see. Um, I will say that there have been other things that have happened already, which is that Civil published its constitution, which is basically its code of conduct for journalists. Uh, It was written with feedback from hundreds of people, including ZigZag listeners. And Jen, actually, you tried out the blockchain plugin that Civil has already built and is rolling out. Right. So this is the technology that the journalists will use to publish their stories to the blockchain. So it's not really a consumer-facing. It's not something that, like, people that bought civil tokens will necessarily use. But it's for the journalists in the newsrooms to use. And so I tried it out, and it was way more user-friendly than the experience of buying civil tokens. What do you feel like it gives, like, I know Maria, the founder of Popula, she said that she heard the angels sing when she used Civil's blockchain plugin on her WordPress site. Why, can you just explain why she was so damn happy? Well, I think it's because it reflects some part of the promise that they've been talking about for so long. I mean, the idea of being able to publish your work permanently on the blockchain, to be able to actually try it, I mean... There's still a lot of experimentation that needs to happen, but it felt like a a process that became real. Yeah, and I would point people back, actually, to episode six. If you missed that one, the civil engineers got a lot of inspiration from a fascinating story in China, a story about Me Too that was smuggled out by using blockchain. So they're using some of the techniques that was used in that wild story. They're actually being put to use with this WordPress plugin. Right. And then they took that basic idea and they really did create a user experience where, you know, we could just, as journalists, hit a a bunch of buttons and we could go intuitively step by step to, like, actually publish it on the blockchain, which is pretty cool. Like, I didn't have to know. I didn't have to go into Etherscan to see that it had been published, which is what you would have had to have done when we bought the, the tokens, for example. Jenna, I'm just impressed that you know what Etherscan is. So there you go. Thank you. But you... You do still have to use MetaMask at this point. Okay, get over that. (laughs) Some of you know what she's talking about. If you don't, please don't worry about it. But this is step one. Like, there's no point in publishing to the blockchain if we don't then do all the other things that Civil has been promising. And I got to say, at the risk of sounding kind of harsh... I am really ready to see all this stuff put into action. I have had enough with the theoretical. I'm ready for proof with this blockchain stuff. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way. Okay, there was an article, researchers actually, at the U.S. Agency for International Development did a study of blockchain projects that they just put out. And they said, I got to read you the quote. They said, despite all the hype about how blockchain will bring unheralded transparency to processes and operations in low trust environments, the industry itself is opaque. And they said that there's lack of evidence that blockchain can really do anything other than facilitate cryptocurrencies, which, by the way, have all tanked this year. Mm -hmm. So the hype over blockchain, it's become like a joke almost, no? It has. But I think for me, there are two aspects to this that I've been wondering about. One is because the ICOs aren't 
initial coin offerings. Right. These big sales where you're supposed to basically raise a bunch of money to then support the development of this technology and the companies that are behind them. Because those aren't working anymore to raise money, these companies don't have a lot of runway to actually develop their tech and develop their companies. And as we've seen over the last six months, the industry seems opaque, I think, because it actually seems centralized. Well, that's ironic, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. The promise was decentralization, a flat organization where everyone has a say. Right. And do you know what I mean by that? No, tell me. So if you look, for example, at the did you see the Forbes article? That- oh, the Joe Lubin? Oh, my God. Best article ever. It, it was It was basically—you go ahead. It was what a very you- interesting profile of Joe Lubin, founder of Consensus and Ethereum. And it looked at the fact that really— It's you, one dude. It's <laughs> Consensus. All of these companies that are backed by Consensus are backed by his money and his odd management style. And so their success or failure is been is dependent on this one billionaire again. So that seems pretty centralized to me, even though he doesn't manage in like a top-down way. Can I just annotate this podcast on the fly? Sure. Uh, go back to season one. I think it was like the second to last episode, or maybe, no, it, it was, was the last. last episode of season one where we interviewed Joe Lubin. And you will, oh my God, read the Forbes article and then listen to that and you will have the most beautiful character study. He's a fascinating guy. He really is. I don't get him, but here's okay. But can I? Yes. Can I? So I, I just want to follow on that. So if you don't have the ICOs anymore, you're just feeding tons of money in for experimentation of this tech. A lot of it scams, to be clear. Yeah, not all of them. It seems like. Hopefully. But if you don't have the runway to, like, test out these ideas and build the tech and build these companies, and you only have one guy funding at least Ethereum, for example, um, it's hard to know if we're ever going to get to see whether blockchain works. Cryptocurrencies, I don't know. Right, but that's blockchain, a whole, it's a whole like I think we're to the point now where we can't reference them synonymously anymore. Well, that's interesting. Well, that's changed very rapidly over the last six months. I-, I can't believe that you and I are even having a conversation over whether blockchain as related to cryptocurrencies ver- versus utility use is whether they could be considered synonymous or not. That's a conversation we would not have had. A year ago? Six months ago, dude. Six months ago. That's true. Okay, so here's my take. I think this whole experiment as a tech journalist has been the most fascinating a wonderfully delightful window into how cutting-edge technology gets developed. Because I think as a journalist, you're like, oh, and, you know, throwing stones at glass houses, but you don't know. Mm -hmm. So this was our real chance to get in there and see how hard it is and the psychological piece of convincing people to trust you with so much money Um, that you, as you say, that you get a chance to build out your idea. um, And the stakes are incredibly high. Mm -hmm. So I like another line from those researchers who actually ended up with their report on a positive note that I think speaks to what has been our sort of theory on why we were bothering to cover this civil story, which is there's value in these experimental blockchain projects, not just in the tech itself, but rather as an impetus to question what we do, why we do it, 
and how we could do it better. And I feel like we really demonstrated that with ZigZag listeners giving all their feedback on this very nascent technology. And and if it fails, isn't it better to fail earlier before all this money gets spent in on bullshit? I don't know. Maybe. I guess my concern is that um, because on ZigZag we want to experiment with these different ideas, that we it was such a big experiment and project that we might have exhausted our listeners the first go-around with that big failure. I hope not because I, I want us to try other ideas out. Yeah, I would like to fail more right here on the show. I think that's—isn't that what they say, fail fast? You know what I mean? Like you want us, us to fail or, or these projects to fail? <laughs> I want us to test things and be like, okay, that didn't work. Moving on. Let's try something else. Right? Like, I mean, it, like the way scientists operate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's a real Silicon Valley cliche, but I do think it's true. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And Jen, when we come back, uh, an update on us, the company, the podcast, and ZigZag listeners themselves. Cool. Okay, Poyant, we made it through another season of the show. Another four months as entrepreneurs. (laughs) I want to ask, what would you say was the high point and the low point of the past quarter for you? Because we now speak in quarters because we're business people. Mm. (laughs) I think for me, it was kind of early on. It was making a well-crafted episode that both delved further into our discussion about how misinformation spreads online, but then also covered the failure of the token sale, which is kind of a weird, hard turn to make, but we managed to make it and crafted like a a beautifully produced episode. Episode four. Yeah, it was a good one because that was the one where Matthew Isles came on, the CEO, and we had kind of a heart-to-heart with him. But then we also talked about some of the issues with Twitter, um, which another report just as we're recording this, has just come out about how misinformation has spread on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these places, done by some of the same researchers, actually. And it's more of what we reported on. Everything confirmed, but again, confirmed, essentially. Yes, this related to information received through the Senate Intelligence Committee. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So, I mean, that's big news. It was big news. Okay. I just want to note, too, that that episode, that's my favorite episode, was also just named as one of the top 50 episodes of the year by IndieWire for 2018. Mm-hmm. Sorry, little pat on the back for Who us there. Who do you do that? Toot your own horn, girl. <laughs> okay. Um, my high point was seeing how our other partner, Radiotopia, how their annual fundraiser has gone. This was our first time being part of um, – what they do this every year. They do a call out, come and join, be a supporter. It doesn't matter how much. It matters that you show up. And as of this moment, 23,641 people have made donations, and the goal is 25,000. So they're going to—I think they're going to reach the goal. Do you think um, they're going to do a stretch goal? I think they should do a stretch goal. I, I'm really impressed. It's like, awesome. Yeah. It's a beautiful collective, and it's great to see it in action and I really think that in many ways, these smaller curated collections of whether they're podcasts or journalists or whatever else, I do think that they're, it's, it's a real trailblazer for how you can make it work on a smaller scale, but on a very, very high quality scale. So I'm proud that we're in the Radiotopia family. I am grateful to our listeners for showing up as well. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Those of you who count, came, like were already into Radiotopia and found us that way, that's so cool. Other ZigZag listeners told me that they'd never heard of all the Radiotopia podcasts, so that was an entryway for them. Sweet. So um, so I thought that was really cool. It was really cool. 
Um, it's a nice cool. community. Yeah, it really is. And we're going to go visit them actually next year. We're going to have a Radio Tope Fest. Um, all the hosts of all the podcasts in Radiotopia get together and, from what I understand, eat a lot. Great. I'm ready. I'm ready, too. Uh, my low point. Wait, what was your low point? I'm slightly embarrassed to tell you about my low point, but I think you can guess what it was. No. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were sitting in the office and— yeah, I mean, <laughs> every, yes, all the time. I think it might have been Thalia's, like, fourth day— producing with us in the office. Uh, did we embarrass ourselves? Oh, I mean, I feel like I definitely did. <laughs> um, and it, you had actually been doing some writing around Inbox Zero that ended up in the show. But I had also been recently missing a lot of emails. And I really believe it had to do with, like, the way the new Gmail is formatted. I just kept, like, I couldn't, the settings just made me confused. Like, I just kept missing them. But we had a little talk. About how I need to get my shit together when it comes to checking my email every day. So I've been working on that. But you asked me, you were like, what is your problem? Like, fix it. Like, figure it out. What is your problem? At one point, you were like, just do inbox. Well, I don't know what you asked, but you were like. Oh, I asked you to create folders. And I said, no. Like, no. And you were like, why? And I was like, because the idea of doing that every day makes me want to cry and vomit at the same time was my answer. And you said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'll drop it. And then I, and took then I saw you doing it the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I really, this goes back to Gretchen Rubin. You know how she has this book, The Four Types? Yeah. It really helped me understand you. Like, I don't know if her whole theories are correct, mm -hmm. but. Really? Yes, <laughs> because you're a rebel. Oh, and thanks. so, like, you, I saw the nine-year-old Jen Poyan sitting in front of me, and you were like, no, I'm not doing it. And you, get, you like, literally, like, ground yourself down into your chair. And I was like, oh, I've taken it too far. But I felt very strongly. I was like, I think I was pissed. I was like, sure you, were. you missed an email. What the hell? No, you, I'm multiple. I mean, I was. I was missing. You were like, you are missing multiple emails every day. What the fuck is your problem? Well, I'm glad that we can laugh about it, but it really made me laugh because seeing you doing it surreptitiously the next day was also like a nine-year-old gem point. You were like just nonchalantly dragging emails into folders but I that will you admit, created. You know what? How's it going? Terrible. I don't uh, use them. I don't understand the point of it, honestly. Like you have to do that constantly for that to work. That's like <laughs> you have to brush your teeth every but day. I still, but, but what I have been doing, which has been working, yeah. is just I'm dying to know, is just deleting because our inbox is so new, right? Our business email yes, is uh -huh. so new that what I've decided is to delete anything that's not remotely important. So I don't have any new emails in there. Okay. Right? So there's no new. Like, you have an unread message. Yes. Mm -hmm. I make sure I read all of them. Delete the ones. Because sometimes I just, yeah, they're like, I can't. Time to move on. Yeah. And then I delete the ones that are completely unnecessary or that, like, I just know I won't need. And then the rest, I still believe, like, you because the categorizations into folders, like, sometimes it reflects a Thalia message and sometimes it reflects PRX and, like, which one do you put it in and which. So instead, I just keep them all in there and then I search and it still works. I think search sucks in email, and so that is why I I stand very firm on my folders. I want folders for everything. 
But that's because I think search is not that good. And also, I don't trust my brain to know what to search for. I do, and it works. The problem for me was that I was—I think it was that there were just too many unreads. So you got overwhelmed. So I got overwhelmed, and then I just stopped paying attention. Yeah, we can't do that anymore. No. So you were like, get it together. (laughs) And I'm trying. It's gotten better, hasn't it? For sure. Good. No doubt. Um, it's interesting. We've sorry, we digress here, but we're having now that we're growing, uh, Thalia is coming on board and we're adding new people. We're trying to figure out like, oh my God, are we really gonna have to like have a slack? Oh, Should worse. we do Asana? Should we just be texters all the time? <sighs> I don't want to do any of them. I am sure to. other people are constantly Tell us what you're themselves. doing, by the way, listeners. If you have found, like, the secret, like, formula, it's Google Calendar plus WhatsApp plus mm, Slack. email, I don't know, Asana or Todoist or I don't know. Right. And I think the tricky thing, too, is that we work with multiple teams, right? Yes. we're not just working with one team. We're working with PRX and Radiotopia. Who and have then we slacks. also work Civil and they have Slacks. And then we yeah. have our own Slack. Yep. Should we add another Slack for our um, freelance contractors? It's impossible. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Um, which is why I get overwhelmed by it. Totally. To which you said, and I do think the formatting, like, settings. I changed my settings, too, in Gmail. Did it help? I think that helped. Okay. I hate Gmail. I mean, it's this why I stuff gives me, like, deep, it. deep, deep anxiety. I'm not sure why. It's just overwhelming for me. I think it's how your brain works. I think it is, too. It doesn't suit your brain. You would, I don't know, what would your preference be? Paper? No. What would it be? Phone calls. Yeah. Seriously. You're very 90s like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just call me. <laughs> call Although me. then we wouldn't have a record of all our fabulous text messages, no, which would those be sad. Are, that I like, I like texting, too. Um, low point. Uh, low point for me, mm, trying to rewrite this Peabody application. So Jen and I have been obsessed with winning a Peabody, which is quite grandiose of us. Uh, it's like one of the top big journalism prizes. I would just like... This is a huge dream of ours. I would cry tears of joy and, like, crawl under my desk and just stay there and, like, giggle for, like, three hours if we won. So, Dude, that recording is going to be funny. Like, those voice memos, if that ever happens. I would die. I would die if we won. Anyway, so we're going to apply for season one of ZigZag. And Jen's like, here's the draft. And I was like, cool, this is great. And then I had, like... (laughs) Then I was, like, cracked out, tired, and I was like, no, this is not great. It, it's, it doesn't explain our point of difference and how we're so much better than other people who are doing all these things. But da, 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 da. <laughs> and Jen called me and said, I just read your version of the Peabody application. And what did you say? I think I said, reading it uh, about halfway through, <laughs> it's, to me, made me think that we sound completely nuts and insane. Because of all the weird zigzags that we've gone through. And I was like, are we like that? Or is it just the way it's been written? Like, is it hard to listen to all the different, like, is it like whiplash for listeners? That's I started to get freaked about it Hmm. after reading through. Mm -hmm. But I think it just might be the crafting of the writing because you were like, no, 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 it's just a I think I was. I was like so, I had just gone to TED Women and I, I, I. I was so tired. It kind of makes me want to read it to people. So, like, read don't, like an please excerpt. Don't do that. That's so mean. All right. I, we got to have a finances conversation here. All okay. right. Because after the civil thing went 
like the civil token sale failed in September or October, whenever it was, a lot of people I heard from were very worried about us. And they're like, what are you going to do? And as we explained in the show, we never counted on those tokens. And so, but we have still been getting our civil grant. Yep. That is coming to a close. Relatively soon. April 1st. Right around the corner. Spring's right right around the corner. (laughs) Right. It's going to happen really fast. (laughs) And that is when we will have to see whether we can continue cobbling our finances together. Like, it's a combination of ads that you hear on the show. Many ads. I'm sorry for that, but they help us a ton. Donations, like we talked about with Radiotopia. Um, Support from nonprofits like the Knight Foundation, who supported us for season two. Mm -hmm. Um, A portion of my speaking fees. Mm -hmm. I think we can. I think the cobbling it together is the future of journalism. It's tough. It's a constant hustle, but I think it's necessary. And I will add that we have a strange project on the books for 2019, which sadly we still cannot talk about. But but it could help us a ton in this yeah. regard. Yeah. And it's very, very likely. Yes. We are in the midst of working out the contract. We have to call our lawyer after this, Jen. And I think people are going to be pretty psyched about this project. I'm pretty psyched about it. I'm psyched about it. Yeah, if we can make it happen. So we're working on it. Yeah. But I'd just like to add that we're not the only ones. David Moore from Sludge, another newsroom, has also mentioned his concerns about the business model for his newsroom. He's trying to go for, like, a membership model. And, you know, once that grant runs out, like, the pedal is to the metal for figuring out the cobbling it together part. And I think we're lucky. Like, we already have multiple partners that we're working with. and. It's not necessarily that way for everyone, you know? We believed in civil, but not entirely. (laughs) You just spread your risk. Right. We spread our risk. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just wanted to note that, that we're not the only ones out there that are dealing with that. Right. In the civil newsroom first fleet, as we're called. Right. Let's tell people what's happening with ZigZag, though. We are taking a few weeks off Mm -hmm. um, because, boy, do we need it. Hardcore. We will be back on January 17th. It's a Thursday. We'll have a new theme. Thalia's going to be doing some reporting. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. It's going to be about... Pr- Don't tell them. Okay. Just <laughs> okay, give it a surprise. All right. New theme. But we're also going bi-weekly. Tell people what that means. It means that we're going to publish <laughs> every other week. You just smiled so big. For a little while, we're going to do that. Yeah. Because we have another project that we want to do here on ZigZag that's going to require some intense work. So we need to just, we just don't have enough time. I got to say, I'm kind of bracing myself for 2019. I am a dumbass and completely <laughs> overextended myself. Um, I got a flurry of speaking invitations right when we quit our jobs. And I said yes to all of them. And they're all in the same month, Ugh, basically, right? They're brutal. It's like, at one point, I think I go from Portland, Oregon to Cape Town to... Which is red. Well, not when you're only going to be there for 48 hours. You're only going to be in Cape Town yeah, for two, dude. two days? Yeah, two days. No. Yes. I thought you it's said a, day a week to, last no. week. No. There's no time. I have to come back. I think I'm going to go dude, to Austin. That's brutal. Then I have to go to North Carolina Which for a day. Which is all lovely, but really brutal. It's brutal. And I, I hit a wall a few weeks ago, and it was not pretty. I know. I was worried about you. Yeah. it was. I felt it. I was like, oh, I smell burning. That's yeah. me burning out. Yeah. Um, so I got a little, I had a little bit like, and, and, and I just worry also that like, 
if I burn out, then I can't stand on stage and do my thing. No, you can't. You need a lot of energy for that. It's exhausting. It's, yeah. So this is something I truly cannot imagine, honestly. Like, this is something you do that I don't. Put on a show. I don't know what it's like. (laughs) It's a little (laughs) razzle-dazzle. Yeah, I got to eat a lot of food and sleep a lot. And you don't do that when you're on the road. So I'm anticipating that I need to take better care of myself, that I can't drink five coffees every morning, and then I can't have three glasses of wine on the plane ride home. Right. Do you drink five glasses or five cups of coffee a day? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yes. That's. I mean, you know, if we're going by, like, proper measurements, eight ounces is one cup, that's... Dude. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I, um... I, it's so boring, but it just is what it is. Well, especially, it's harder. It's Honestly, it, I think it's harder for you. Why? Thank you, but why? Because <laughs> you are running around. Even if it's not the travel, you're still, we're going to try to figure this out, too, with Stable yeah. Genius, right? we got to figure out our studio situation for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're running around like a nut all over the city, tracking and doing, which is all great. Again, it's all good. It's, it's just all a good. Lot we, for you, like, yeah. physically, it's a lot for you to do. And I have gotten to the point where I, like, I just put my hand up and said I can't do that commute unless I absolutely need to. No, so I've been working s- remotely. And I think it's better use of your brain space. It is. But it also, it does allow me, my sleep patterns have gotten really weird lately. I know. You told me that. Like bad. But at least I'm making up the sleep. I'm making up the sleep in really weird ways. You, how? Naps. Really? You've yeah. turned into a napper? I've kind of had to. Because you've been so tired and, like, because you were up for hours last night. I must have slept, like, one hour last night. Like, last night, for example, we were texting at, like, 9.15 about um, edits to the the script. And I was like, yes, I will put those in right away. And then I literally—I'm not kidding you. I literally fell asleep on the couch at 9.17. But I had taken a three-hour nap earlier. Oh, yeah, you can't do that. So then I woke up at 4. Yeah, you can't do that. I know. Remember when you had a baby and you were like, oh, no, they're still sleeping. I got to wake them up so I can get them to bed. So anyways, but my point is, is like I would be freaking out if I was running around the city all the time. We're, I'm making it work. We're but boring. It's, this is yeah, so, boring. so boring. But at boring. the same time, it's like it's hard to take care of yeah. yourself with this stuff. It's I know. hard. It is hard. Okay. This is the moment, Jen, when I play you some of the things that listeners have told us that they are thinking about, that they are anticipating for themselves for the world in the coming year. Good morning from Paris, Manouche and Jen and Thalia. My name is Emily and I want you to anticipate what I'm anticipating for just a moment because I feel like this is a long overdue voice memo. I didn't know if anticipate has a kind of, you know, dread or looking forward connotation to it. And I did an informal poll at a bus stop with a bunch of parents and kids and overwhelmingly people thought that it was something you're looking forward to, uh, not something you're dreading. Anticipation, um, Definitely anticipating the uh, resurgence or rising again of civil and quite keen to have something like that around. I'm anticipating a lot, like, what's this world going to be like for my girls? It's... It's a funky place, isn't it? And I'm I'm counting on people like you who are doing amazing journalism and looking into technology in the future to help me better envisage what the world's going to be like for my kids and how I can prepare them for it. I feel that I have more confidence to do things because of your inspiring stories. I'm not sure what I can do now or what I will do, but I know one day I can accomplish something for myself. 
for my family, or even for the society. I anticipate that people will finally wake up by cutting emissions, switching from fossil fuels to renewable energy, replanting forests, eating less meat, and who knows, maybe even moving from an economy of consumption to an economy of well-being. Like you, on one hand, I have no idea what I'm doing in some cases, and it definitely does a number on my confidence. I'm almost overwhelmed by it. But I'm anticipating that the stuff, the, the work that I've been doing, the choices I've been making, are going to result in a big positive change. And I've definitely drawn inspiration from ZigZag, from listening to the journey you've had. All my friends and family and everybody were all so, you know, busy, 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 busy. And I started sending people voice memos as a way of saying, I just am sending you some love and saying hi and giving you some news. And it has been so great. And they've started replying in kind with voice memos. So I anticipate sending many more voice memos to my friends and loved ones. And I thank you again for all the great work that you're doing. And I certainly would be remiss if I did not say I am incredibly warmly anticipating more phenomenal work from uh, the three of you. All right. Thanks for everything. Bye. I mean... I just want to acknowledge those people. That was Emily in Paris, another Emily in Taiwan, Larry in Austin, Dan in Tasmania, Liel in Israel, and Joshua in Queens, New York. Jen, we are an eclectic international bunch with, like, it's personal yet global zigzaggers. I'm going to admit it. It's hard not to cry. It is hard not to cry. It's okay to tear up. I think it's... Oh, you, now you... Oh, stop that. <laughs> I just want to tell people that we are going to be digging into all those ideas, the environment, tech's impact on us and our kids, how to find confidence in yourself, in your ideas, and so many more of your suggestions of things that we should be talking about. Um, we're so grateful to you for making 2018 wonderfully weird and... Mm gratifying and I think we did make the podcast of our dreams. I think we did. And I have to say I really appreciate that there are people out there that get us and get what we're trying to do. It's weird, man. It's really weird. <laughs> we are not Joe Rogan. We are not mainstream <laughs> podcasting. Um the fact that anybody gets it honestly, like I don't know, you guys. You guys are awesome. We all got to get together at some point. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what Julia Angwin, our friend um, and the amazing investigative reporter, said in episode nine. She <laughs> I can't get over this. She said, I was like, and then what do you do to celebrate when you've achieved something? She's like, what? No, I've already celebrated. I celebrate events or projects before, before I do them. Did that blow your mind? It did, and I'm, I've am i fully incorporated that philosophy into my life since that interview. Oh, yeah. But see, here's what's interesting about it. What a lovely way to live, but it requires completely trusting yourself that you will actually see it through. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, do we dare say, Jen, that we should celebrate season three now before we even do it? But, you know, uh, four months ago, I never would have done that because I would have been like, well, what if we don't do it? What if we can't get our shit together? Yeah, but we what know if we, we can. We keep well, doing it. that's what I'm saying. It's time to... 
flip the script on that one, I think. It's why I said yes to all those speaking engagements because I was like, well, what if we don't start a company? What if we don't make the podcast of our dreams? What if we don't have enough work? I got to say, we did have this conversation very early on. Who was it? Somebody said to you, was it Roman? Yes, you and Roman. Yeah, but didn't Roman say to you in a different context? What if it does work out? Yeah, he wasn't he saying something like, you're planning for the worst case scenario and you need to plan for the best case scenario. I'm still and working, you're still working on that. I'm still working on that. I'm still working on that. I know. That's okay. And I think I better start planning for the best case scenario because I'm going to burn out and burn it all down if I don't. Right. And we will get you through that speaking period. <laughs> we might have to like seriously incorporate your travels into the narrative of I the show. Actually, That's actually a really good idea. Thank you. All right, my friends, um, please enjoy the other episode in your feed this week. Uh, my interview with economist Rufus Pollack about open information. This is one of Jen's favorite interviews. <laughs> It was really hard to put this together because the ideas are so gargantuan. It's like a bo- audio bong hit for your brain. It really is. But, you know, if you're in the right mood, it can be relaxing yet mind-opening as well. Um, it's not one that you want to be doing other tasks, I would no, say. No, you're right. You have to be pretty concentrated. Um, like if you want to, like, go for a walk or, like, really chill out, maybe driving, but, like. it's 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 intense. Yeah. It's, you know, it's good. You've had it's like, just like so much small talk at the holiday table that you're like, oh my God, I'm going to gouge my eyes out. Yeah. Go off yeah, and go, listen to go Rufus. Listen to this. Yeah. Zigzag will be back mid January with season three. We are already hard at work on it. We are thinking of you. And if you are thinking of us, the inbox is open. Drop us a line, a suggestion, a story. Just a hello at zigzag at stableg.com. Um, in the newsletter this week, I'm putting something fancy. I'm putting together <laughs> my top 10 articles of the year. Many of you know I'm a stupidly voracious reader, um, so this is hard to do. You can sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of our homepage. It is zigzagpod.com. Final words? Stoked for season three. Yeah, super stoked. Okay. Does that sound cheesy? It might, yeah. Okay. And when <laughs> this episode was produced by me and Jen Boyan and Dahlia Beatty. Dan DeZula and David Herman were our audio engineers and composers. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions in partnership with Civil. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Manoush Samarodi. And I'm Jen Poyant. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I think I want a tote bag. Was that PBS or NPR? I don't know, like the tote bag during the telethon? But really, I mean, could we make it like a beach bag? Like the zigzag beach bag so, like, Jen can take her stuff to the beach and go surfing and not get it all, you know, manky. Could be awesome. Anyways, let's do it. Zigzag bag. <laughs>